Welcome to the Imagination Redeemed podcast. I'm Heidi White, and I'm here with Brian Brown, the founder and director of the Anselm Society. How are you, Brian? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Yes, a very careful response. I always appreciate those. (laughs) Brian, you and I were just talking off the air about what to talk about on this particular podcast. And I think that first, we need to talk about grammar. The of title, you would think that. yes, exactly. <laughs> the title of this podcast used to be the Redeemed Imagination Podcast, but now we've made a very important deep change. It is now the Imagination Redeemed Podcast. Let's talk about that. Why this very important and fundamental shift? Yes, our communications team has been bothering me for quite some time. We have a conference called Imagination Redeemed and a podcast called Redeemed Imagination. Pick one. <laughs> And honestly, the the reason is they started at totally different times for totally different reasons. And for some reason, one of the names sounded better for a conference and the other one sounded better for a podcast. And as time has gone on, it's increasingly been the case that we now have two podcasts that are getting increasingly strategic to Hmm. what we're trying to do. Our Believe to See podcast started as the Arts Guild deciding that their conversations were interesting and we should record them. And this podcast started with us, the board, saying our conversations are interesting. We should record right. them. And we were right. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so as, as time's gone on, and especially kind of coming into this year, we've talked about what it looks like to do fewer things mm. really well. Mm-hmm. That came out wrong. Do fewer things, period, and do them really well. And See, grammar. See? Grammar is really Dang important. <laughs> so belief to see, as we can talk more about where we're growing as an organization, but belief to see exists much more to engage with the story and storytelling side of where we're headed. And on this show, we can engage more, plenty with stories, but more with the meaning of the stories, hmm. and more with the theology and big ideas side of things. So that being the case, it was also a chance to clean up some alignment issues. And so we decided Imagination Redeemed for the podcast and Imagination Redeemed for the conference because they're very, very closely related. The kinds of conversations we have on the podcast are the kinds of conversations that we have at the conference and and vice versa. And we can and will use conference audio on this podcast. We've got all of these wonderful recordings from year after year. Mm -hmm. It's opportunities to revisit old conversations that we had in person at the conference and it's an opportunity to continue those conversations Mm. so yeah one name one thing right well that honing down to the fundamentals i mean a that is the discipline of grammar but maybe that's a whole other conversation b uh, that's why we're here today which is to talk about some of how we are honing down the content of our organization to better serve our people. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about that. You and I were talking off the air before about what's coming for the Anselm Society. There have been many conversations as a board and as a staff about, about that. And so we are about to launch a year long liturgical learning experience. So we're here to talk about that. Uh, So first, Brian, what do we mean by that? Let's kind of go word by word, year long, pretty self-explanatory. And from there, yeah, so I'll come back to liturgical, but Mm -hmm. learning experience, we concluded that we, we wanted to spend the year 
on a particular theme. Mm -hmm. And that theme was born out of our Imagination Redeemed conference last fall and conversations that continued from there. If we think about the Christian story as one that begins in creation and continues through fall and redemption and eventually restoration, one of the things that we've most consistently seen lacking in the spiritual formation of the people in our community is the creation piece. Maybe they've had creation science arguments, but they haven't engaged the creation story as myth. We'll get back to what that means. But they also haven't engaged it as as history in the sense of God is telling us in the created order, both the process of creating it in, in Genesis and the created order itself, so many of the answers to questions that we have go back to the created order. Who are we? What are we for? Why are we here? Why did God make us? Why did God make anything? And when you don't have answers to those questions, well, of course you end up with questions about what's the relationship between my art and my faith, or what's the relationship between going to heaven and what I'm supposed to do right now. They're very practical questions, and we wanted to approach that theme. And it's big, and it's complicated, and there's all these different pieces to it. So we realized this isn't so much a lecture that we want to have as a whole year. And that being the case, learning experience, we didn't want to just preach at people or write a few essays or something. We, we really wanted to be able to engage with the material on a deep level and on a multifaceted level. Because as humans, we have quite a bit of knowledge at this point about how we learn. We have quite a bit of, of accumulated uh, wisdom from philosophy, from history, from the history of teaching and learning, from social science. We know a lot about how our brains work and how they do and don't absorb information and how that information is translated from the head to the heart and the will and so on. And I don't think we're going to change the world by just spouting an idea or two. So we realized that we needed a liturgical learning experience in the sense of if you're going to take something very important and try to make it a part of your life, why do New Year's resolutions always fail, right? Hmm. Usually you're doing it alone and you're trying to add a liturgical element to your life. Your life has liturgical elements, liturgical in the sense of repetitive things that you prioritize because they are formative. Hmm. Yeah, liturgical can be maybe an off-putting or an overwhelming word within some Christian traditions. Mm -hmm. When we say liturgical, especially tying that to an overall vision for the organization and for who we are as humans and as sub-creators, which we'll talk about that, why liturgical? What do we mean by that term? I mean, I usually go back to words like habit or hmm. rhythm as not synonyms, but near synonyms. If I don't want to scare someone away with a big word, I'll use one of those words or usually both of them together because, you know, you, you are what you do on some level. You are what you do repetitively and the habits that you form, form you. And so what's it, what does it look like to build habits together as a community? What does it look like to absorb difficult ideas Hmm. as a community. I really like that, Brian. I particularly like how you're tying those at uh, the idea of a liturgical life, a habitual life, a rhythmic life with community. And it seems to me that for something to become a liturgy in the spiritual sense, it must be communal. Would you agree with that? What are your thoughts on that? I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, yeah. actually, as, as an educator, because hmm. it's it can be a little bit different. Uh, you have kind of a formal education 
context that you would have as a teacher. And then we have all the way at the other end of the spectrum, the individual context where I have to make choices. I have to make difficult decisions. I have to try to build a community or, or at least a, a friend or two around something, right? New Year's resolution. I'm going to work out more. I need to work out partner, right? That kind right. of instinct. And then in between we have the church, right. which is supposed to be liturgical in the sense that you're supposed to be in community with these people. You're supposed to have deep relationships. They're supposed to be there to help uh, hold you accountable, to help uh, spur you on to love and good deeds. But the, the liturgical influence of the church just keeps diminishing, it seems, in the modern world. I mean, it's got to be so, so hard to be a pastor, to be a priest these days, because right. whatever you have to influence your community the sermon, the service itself, whatever kind of spiritual formation or Bible study type things you have, the sheer amount of time that the rest of the world has to work on your community is so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as, as you look at that in, in your context, what does it look like to start to have that communal pushback against not just bad influences, but diverse influences. The fact that we're all just having different experiences minute to minute. We're not, we don't have a shared life usually right. in, the, in the classical sense of the term. I think what you just said is really important to the whole conversation, the idea of a shared life, a common life. Uh, for most of human history, especially in, in Western culture, but all over the world, the daily rhythms of individual life were based on the liturgical rhythms of the church. Uh, for example, one of the reasons that we have, this is such a simple thing, but it's so profound, I think. One of the reasons that we have church bells, which we all recognize, right? The church bells. And in, in Europe, they still will sound the bells often. But the way we have church bells, because there were laborers in the field who couldn't come to the liturgy, they couldn't come to the mass. And so... They used to call people to church using the church bells. And then whenever the Eucharist was served in mass, they would ring the church bells and the people who couldn't come to church would cross themselves and kneel in the fields uh, so that they could partake even from afar in the sacramental life of the church, the liturgical life of the church. And so that, that idea of common life, of shared liturgical life was fundamental to human culture for most of history. And it's something we've lost. And that's something that has been lost for a number of reasons, partly through the ideological influence of the Enlightenment, partly through uh, technology, which has enabled people to become more and more isolated, and partly through kind of the undergirding individualism of American culture and consumerism has changed that idea, but that was assumed for most of human history. And it was assumed that communal life should guide individual life, that we as individuals should submit to the common liturgical life that was set by the spiritual rhythms of the church. In losing that, I think we've lost something very precious. And so part, I think, of what we're trying to do as the Anselm Society and me as an educator is to recover or return to an understanding of that, not to create our own, not to say, what liturgies do we need now, mm -hmm. but to submit to the already existing ones within the church 
and that have always guided Western culture for hundreds of years. And so we're trying to recover something and submit to something and take ourselves as individuals and place it under a communal life. And I think that's really important. And I think that needs to be said that we're not just trying to build something that we think works for us. And I'm using mm-hmm. air quotes, right? <laughs> but there's a submission to that. And I came to that, you asked about me. I came to that through being an educator. The more that I studied history, the more that I read literature, the more that I saw deeply embedded within our culture, the more I had a longing to return. Not in a way that like kind of idealizes this, this golden past. There's never been a golden past, right? But in a way that understands what we had and desires to integrate the goodness that we do have in our culture with the goodness that we had then that's been lost. Mm-hmm. Which sounds challenging mm-hmm. to a lot of people, right? Which is why you had to stop there and right. say, we're not idealizing a golden past. Right. But that approach where human knowledge is cumulative and you can evaluate new facts on the ground based on a dialogue with that accumulated knowledge is what we do in every scientific discipline, mm-hmm. right? You don't learn math by saying, what math shall we make up today? Right. You learn it by learning this thing out of a textbook, which, and this textbook represents the tradition. Mm-hmm. It represents everything that's come before you that has survived scrutiny this long. And if someone handed you a math textbook that said, so that last math textbook you had, we disagree with 95% of it. We're going to start over. Is there a chance that that textbook is correct to do that? Yes. Is it a good one? No. Right. Right. Well, and to your point, as an educator, that is happening with an education right now all over the United States. Let's not study math anymore. Let's just talk about how we feel about the math problem. Let's not study grammar anymore. If I had to, like, talk you know, about, these, if I had to discuss right? how I feel about the math problem, I wouldn't do the math I problem. I was laughing so hard at some like actual, it's one of those like laugh or cry question mark, not sure, you know, some proposed changes to math texts that are happening within our wildly individualized culture that has lost its liturgical foundation. And so I think I'm harping on the point that we're not trying to reinvent the wheel because, and I want you to speak to this, at the Anselm Society, we are not trying to replace the church or bring in a new idea. We are not advocating, hey, come join us because we are going to have this like secret society that has all these old rituals, right? Right. What are we doing instead of that, Brian? Right. Well, yeah, going back to the liturgical learning experience idea, we want to reintroduce some things to the life of the individual, to the life of a willing community that starts to re-enchant, that starts to add layers of meaning to things that we take for granted. Because one thing that we've talked about before is that as Christians, we don't want to be known for being the people that are constantly dismissing the magic and meaning in the world, right? That are constantly saying, oh, that's just a whatever, that's just a tree. Santa Claus isn't real. Like whatever whatever the, the thing is, are you... Are you taking the opportunity to look for 
truth and meaning? Are you taking the opportunity to connect immediate truths and symbols to larger truths, to capital T truth, to the one who is the source of truth, whose nature is in is shown in everything that he's made. That's a muscle that is badly out of shape hmm. for most of us. For the simple reason that to build it well, you have to build it with others. You have, like right. If you magically grew up in a community where that was normal, you'd be surrounded by a whole bunch of stories that told you who you were. You'd be surrounded by songs that you sang that reminded you who you were, that made you proud of who you were, that made you rejoice in the wonderful works of God and sing about them because that's the proper response. So there would be these things that added up to that, but very few of those things are, happen individually. And even the people that are the wisest on these subjects, the people that we tend to invite to speak at our conferences are often people, I mean, goodness knows what those people would be capable of if they hadn't had to go scurrying all over the world seeking after these things on their own, mm-hmm. and which most of them have. Mm-hmm. So liturgical learning experience, we wanted to overlay the year with the church year. We're not making a big fuss of that, but the monthly themes that you will see over the course of this year are chosen purposely because they correspond to, oh, it's Easter. Oh, it's the long, what we call the long green season between Easter and some successive feasts and Advent, the period of time when we have, the, when we're, we're not remembering the Advent and birth of our Lord and we are not remembering the death and resurrection and ascension of our Lord, but we are remembering ourselves and why we are here and to respond to those things. And then concluding in December with Advent and Christmas. Hmm. So if I wanted to give you a taste of the kind of meaning that frankly ought to be your birthright as a Christian, the accumulated knowledge and wisdom that people of most historic faith traditions within the church have built up, and you see this in the Orthodox tradition and the Catholic tradition, there's a lot of it that's been half forgotten in the Reformed tradition. There's so much of this, these muscles of, of meaning where we see God's hand at work in the world that they've built up and they've built up the methods for learning them. Okay, great. What does this all have to do with what we're doing this year? What does this all have to do with creation theology? Well, if we're going to delve into a subject that is this fundamental and that is this important to absorb, not just hear, then I don't, I don't want you to just hear about it. I want you to be able to engage with it. So any given month this year, there will be a topic which will build on the previous month's topic and we will release an essay, a chapter of what will ultimately be a book at the end of the year. Sometimes we'll do two in a month and that will kind of kick off the thought process for the month. And then you and I can continue it with others on this podcast. But at the same time, it's not just talking about ideas in the abstract. It's not just talking about the big stuff, the intellectual stuff, the cerebral stuff. A huge part of how we learn and how we absorb values is stories and, of course, music and art and all these other things. So our pub nights that we have each month locally, and some of which, a portion of each of which we will record, will always start with a story that engages with that theme. So, for example, this month, which we can talk about in a future episode more, is about what we call the enchanted kingdom, the idea that God's creation tells us about him. 
and is, is just pregnant with meaning. It's not just pretty. So we'll have a couple of things to read, a couple of articles on our website that you can read about that. And we'll probably read the audio on the podcast if you want to get the audiobook version. But then you can come to our, our pub night at the end of May, which is all Tolkien themed because that was a huge theme for Tolkien. The idea that, you know, he created the Ents partly because he loved nature so much and saw so much meaning in nature. And there's, and he recognized that there was a category between indifference and idolatry mm-hmm. when it came to nature. Right. You can sort of be the stereotypical sort of tree hugger thing and, and assign agency to nature that isn't necessarily there or worship it instead of the God who made it. Or on the other hand, the only option given to most of the rest of us is it's just a tree. But that should never be the Christian impulse. Okay, great. How do I develop this third impulse? Well, let's hear a story from someone who knew how to develop that third impulse. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why we talk about Tolkien so much here at the Anselm Society. It's not just because we want to fangirl and fanboy about him, although most of us do, uh, but because he was doing something theologically through his work. He was embodying, as you said, that Christian impulse. Another example of that is with Aragorn as the king I teach a medieval humanities class, high school class, and we always read Lord of the Rings whenever I teach the medievals because we've lost our medieval mind. We've lost our way Mm. of thinking about the world as an enchanted place, which the medievals assumed that in their literature and in their theological writing. Do you read it first then as kind of the the We read it along with it. Oh, interesting. So over the course of a year, we read two chapters a week. And then I tie in a lot of the other literature into Tolkien because Tolkien knew, he knew the modern mind has lost its ability to long for the things that the medievals did. One of them being a king, right? So he gives us an ideal king. He gives us Aragorn, who is, of course, a type of Christ, but also an ideal man that would be appealing to moderns. So that then in longing for Aragorn to ascend the throne, we learn to long for a king, which means we learn to long for Christ. And he exaggerates this in order to awaken within the denuded modern soul a longing for something that we should, as you said, already have as a birthright. He also does that with the ends, as you pointed out, and with giving us Saruman, who is in every way a modern man. Mm -hmm. Saruman, he has fallen like a modern man has fallen. He sees trees as natural resources, not as sacramental beings. And he rapes the forest in order to technologize war, right? In every way, he is modern, a modern fallen man. And casting him as wicked, we moderns are able to see our own folly for those of us with eyes to see, which to your point is one of the reasons why we talk about Tolkien so much at the Anselm Society. It's not just because we're like these Christian nerds who are trying to, you know, create no, our we're own definitely little comic not con. Right? <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, we are that, but <laughs> this isn't like comic con light for Christians. Right. It really is about awakening those longings within us so that they could be redeemed. Mm -hmm. Well, and Lewis had that line about how stories help us to steal past watchful dragons. Mm -hmm. There there are just things that we as, not as Christians, not even as 
there are some instincts I think that people have that they think are Protestant instincts that are in fact simply modern instincts. Amen. And you know, Luther and Calvin would have criticized you for having them. Can you elaborate um, on that just a bit? I mean, all day. But the, <laughs> if you were to make a list of the ten things that you think are bad about Catholicism as a Protestant, probably eight of them. Maybe nine of them Luther would have agreed with and seven or eight Calvin would have agreed with. Mm -hmm. And even something as simple as um, pre-written prayers or the feast days of the church or the idea that worship is something that exists partially to habituate us for like Sunday morning worship exists in part to habituate us for the rest of the week, the rest of life. It's not just there as a learning experience for someone to give you a sermon or the relationship between uh, I mean one of the things that we'll, we'll deal with this this week or excuse me this month is this idea of the enchanted creation the idea that creation itself is symbolic and sacramental that the material world has a direct relationship with the spiritual world mm -hmm. not in the sense of like da Vinci code type stuff not in the sense of how can we decode this but when scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God, that's not a chicken soup for the soul verse. It's not something that, let me put it this way. When was the last time you saw the heavens declare the glory of God on a, you know, photo calendar right. and there was a person in the photo? Hmm. Well, the people are the pinnacle of right. the created order. order. They're not an afterthought and they're certainly not a parasite right. on the created order. So why are these pictures of nature always just sort of pretty things that don't have people in them? Or why are they always just pretty? This idea that we always just interpret that verse as, oh yeah, God is beautiful. Right. Well, no, the word glory in scripture is virtually always used to refer to nature, the specific glory of someone or something. Great. Follow-up question. What is the glory of God? And you can read the reformers and you can read reformed thinkers today uh, in fact there's kind of a resurgence of this in reformed thought today whose if you went in unprepared you would swear you were reading something written by a catholic but it wasn't right and this is just a, a personal thing but i think if you want to insist on continuing to slice up the church into divisions the most significant division that we have is between the parts of the church that see the entire created order as gods and as something that exists to help us to know him and that and is something that he is restoring and is going to come back and rule and people who see it as all irrelevant and it's all going to burn and we're just going to go to this ethereal place called heaven someday right i think you're bringing up such a good point of the distinction between a modern way of thinking versus a true spiritually reformed way of thinking, right? I'm not a Protestant, but in looking back over the magisterial reformation, as you said, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, there was even within the Protestant impulse, a desire to return to what they felt was a proper sacramental theology, mm. a true understanding of the nature of the world that was being exploited by problems within the Catholic Church. So there was even, I mean, I think about, to your point about Luther and his love for the Virgin Mary. And so to your point, this is all part of a longer conversation about 
how moderns can return and reconnect to the unfolding tradition. The tradition of the church is not a closed canon, right? It's an unfolding story with very deep roots that many of us just simply don't know. In good faith, like truly in good faith, just don't know and think, Calvin would have gone to church in a strip mall like me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Calvin Uh, would have walked out of your strip mall. Yes, (laughs) yes. And the same goes in all other traditions. Modernity has stripped away our eyes to see the magical, enchanted nature of the world. And we're, we at the Anselm Society are trying to recover it. And we want to get into the specifics. Yeah. And that's what this year is about. We want to take these topics like the heavens declare the glory of God that are so often referenced but rarely explored and explore them. Hmm. Because... Most of us that have started puttering around in this Christian imagination space, first of all, our way in is usually fiction. It's usually things like Lord of the Rings or Anne of Green Gables or something that made us feel like, okay, there's more to reality than what I can see with my senses and I know it. And that connection is somehow not being made in my faith. And that usually leads people to either theological sources that are explicitly writing about it in a nonfiction context or the literary sources that inspired those other sources, right? Right. Like you referenced Tolkien to the medievals or both. But so often we want to be able to get into the detail. Like what if somebody could just sit with you and help you and and look around your yard, the grass, the, uh, you know, we've got rabbits running around the backyard right now, wild ones and the trees and looking up at the cloud. What if somebody could help you to see that scene with the way that you were meant to see it, with, mm-hmm. with redeemed and restored eyes, understanding, because all of that is, is what you were given to steward. Right. This makes me think of Chesterton saying the apples of the Hesperides are gold so that we can open our eyes to the glory that apples are green. <laughs> <laughs> How it's our, our goal through this litur- year-long liturgical learning experience for our own eyes to be able to see the glory of the green apples, right? And to share that with you all. So what does that look like? Pub nights, uh, these writing projects, what else can people expect and how can they engage? So the, the project falls into three categories. God creates, we create, and God meets us in the work. That's a theological claim that I want to explore, but it's also the structure for our year, you always start with God and you always start with who is he? What has he made? Why is he a creator? What is the nature of what he's made? And what's the nature of our relationship to it? These can be very abstract if you do them wrong, but if you do them right, they're the most practical questions there are. Absolutely. They're embodied. Why am I, why am I here? Right. Yes. Um, And then from there, okay, great. We're made in the image of that creator. We're made to visibly represent him and his nature on this earth. Well, okay, great. Creating the image of God. There's another one that we talk about that we mention a lot and don't dig into. So what does it mean? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be created in the image of a creator God? The short answer that you probably have heard in a Christian imagination types setting is, is well, God's a creator, so you're a creator. Yes, and. <laughs> so what is it? Why did God get, give it to us to name the animals? 
what an odd place for God to stop creating and tell us to start creating. Um, what's going on there? When we create something, whether it's exploring a math equation or whether it's building a car or whether it's doing a painting or whether it's raising a family, when we're bringing something into existence that did not exist without our labor, what are we doing? What is the relationship between what I can do with my two hands or my mind now and eternity? Why do these things matter when they don't exist just to get us into heaven? So we will explore those two big themes circling back closer to Christmas with what the two have to do with each other and why God made us to work this way. And each month we will have the essays that you can read on the website or listen to on this podcast. We will have conversations about those essays where you and I can delve into all the follow-up questions, sometimes interview the authors and so on. And then over on the pub nights and at uh, on the Belief to See podcast, we'll have the opportunity to get into the, the imagination side of it. So here's a story that expands our imaginations to be able to grasp this difficult idea, this difficult reality. And at the pub night, we might also sing songs, sing hymns related to it or engage further in, I mean, at the, the Tolkien night, we're going to sing some of Tolkien's songs. And yeah, we are. we're going to do some Tolkien trivia just because it's fun. And and we're some gonna... of Farmer Maggot's mushrooms. Yes. And yeah, eat Tolkien-themed food because then some people are crazy. And I tell them to bring carrot sticks and ranch dip and they research how to write or how to make Limbus. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you have that, that imaginative um, component to it. And then meanwhile, over at Believe to See, they're going to keep exploring why stories matter, why our stories matter, why the great stories matter, how all these things are tied up in each other. So delving into the stories themselves, the craft of making them, and how we can be better tellers of the stories that matter hmm. in, in that particular, you know, the context of that particular month's theme. So the idea is if you want to go through the whole experience, if you want to get everything, great. Subscribe for, to our email list. Follow either of the podcasts. We'll kind of keep you up to date on what everybody else is, is doing. And it'll all be on our website. And it's actually organized that way. So you can actually just go straight to a particular months. If you go to anselmsociety.org slash why we create, you can actually go to a given month's sort of homepage and go, oh, here's what this month is about. Here's the starter essay. Here's the story recording from the pub night if it's been, you know, if, if we had it yet. And here's the follow-up conversations. And some people are also writing follow-up blog posts and essays and creating new art in response to it. And we'll add that stuff up as it goes as well. However, if you're not that into the whole thing, if you get only a little bit of it, you know, there's this wonderful thing in scripture where there's an element of microcosm to it. You can read any piece of scripture and on some level you've experienced the whole. You can read the story mm -hmm. of Noah or Joseph. And if you were to make a list of the elements of Christ's story, they're all there in a limited form. I got a little microcosm of the big story in this small story. And similarly, if you just hang out with belief to see and you just listen to and talk about stories you will get on some level the ideas we're talking about and if you just want to talk ideas with us and you know matt malama that guy's just too goofy for me i'm just <laughs> hope you're listening matt and uh again you'll still get part of the whole but the beauty of it is we can then all 
get together at the pub nights if you're local and get together on our Anselm Core Facebook group if you're not and continue the conversation. Mm. Okay, I have follow-up questions. Oh, great. Let's talk about them. Right. And then this is all converging towards a conference. Yeah. So September 30th and October 1st, we'll have our annual Imagination Redeemed conference. And that one, we're going to zero in on a very practical and very big question, which is also Tolkien inspired what to do with the time that is given to us Mm -hmm. because time was the one topic as we started building this year that we felt we just couldn't do justice to even a little bit in a month so we are going to spend some time on it over the summer but we really wanted to be able to delve into it deeper because time is a created thing just like space just like the material world why is god given this to us and what are we supposed to do with it and how does how i spend a moment relate to eternity and everything in between so we'll have tickets going on sale for that actually pretty soon probably in in early june and that'll be a chance to get together and just dive deep into something that intentionally builds on everything we've done all year and then zeroes in on this very very practical okay i understand on some limited way as as a limited human i understand creation theology now. I understand creation better. I understand my role in it better. How shall I now? How now shall I live? That's good. That's good. Well, so many wonderful and exciting things coming up. Thank you for explaining it, Brian. I'm even more fired up than I was 30 minutes ago (laughs) in talking about it. (laughs) Thank you very much. Fantastic. Um, Brian, I'm really looking forward to the next podcast and we'll talk even more about this first theme of the project, the Enchanted Kingdom. Uh, meanwhile, everybody pay attention to apples being green and the heavens declaring the glory of God and maybe go make some delicious food and sit and gather, read something wonderful, go for a walk. It's springtime and think about being part of this big, beautiful world. Thank you so much for kicking us off, Brian, explaining all this stuff. This is really exciting and we're looking forward to it. And thank you all listeners for your support of the Anselm Society. We hope that this is a blessing to you. And thank you for joining us for the Imagination Redeemed podcast. For Brian Brown, I'm Heidi White. And thank you for tuning in to the Imagination Redeemed podcast. Mm -hmm.